Hey guys, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. I'm going to get right to it today because we have a very special guest and I want to take every second I can with him for all of our benefits. My next guest is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. He is the nation's number one life and business strategist. He's called upon to consult and coach with some of the world's finest athletes, entertainers, Fortune 500 CEOs, and even presidents of nations. He has been an incredible inspiration to me, and I'm so excited to share his wisdom and his new book, Unshakable, with you. Please welcome Mr. Tony Robbins! Hi. Hi, how you doing, Maria? I'm great. I'm unshakable, Tony. You are unshakable. I'm in state. I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm excited because I know you've studied this so much that I can just sit here and listen to you teach this. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the last book you did. You underlined every single page. All it was 600 awesome. and something of them. Yeah, that's right. Money master the game. Who's counting? It's funny because I tell everyone wherever I go, I'm like, if you haven't read this book, then you have a serious problem on your hands. It's true. And, and, and it's with you life-changing. At least. You have a serious problem with you. <laughs> yeah, it's life-changing. And I would like to say that we did an entire episode with AJ Gupta, yes. who um, handles all your financial investments and stuff. And he's from Creative Planning. And I sat down with him and I said, I want to do one episode where we just explain the power of compounding and just explain to people how it will change their life. So I had everyone on staff come in and say how much they could invest weekly yes to illustrate the power of compounding and lauren jumped in and she's like well i'll invest twenty dollars a week i'll skip a few starbucks a week and then i'll put twenty dollars a week great so we did the little calculator and i think what was the number three hundred and twenty thousand dollars yeah, yep. that makes sense in 20 years three hundred and twenty thousand dollars is what lauren would wake up to and 20 years is going to fly like that lauren just like it has for me because i woke up the other day or yesterday when i was reading this uh another chapter in this again for compounding i was like you know what i've been doing this for 17 years tony i've been in the business for 17 years and i've made wow. a lot of money over my time yes. if you look at my collective i'm like shit that's a lot of money and I have saved more than 10% a year. I really have. But I have not been able to... Invest it properly? Or... Yeah. Well, I've invested it in mutual funds okay, <laughs> without well, fiduciaries. That's problem. <laughs> exactly. And I've not, I have not really tapped into the power of compounding because no one knew about it. Why the hell does nobody know about compounding? I'd be so filthy freaking rich right now. I'd be swimming in my money and so happy. And instead, I'm like, well, I have some money. I really worked really hard. Damn! I, I What's wrong it, with people? I'm I business actually, managers. Why don't they know? Because <laughs> they're busy getting fees. <laughs> it's not their expertise. Look, you're so right. You know, when I interviewed uh, uh, a gentleman from uh, who wrote this book, he's the guy that actually created the idea of index funds that we all know so much now. His name's Bert Malkiel. you. And Bert Malkiel. <laughs> and I asked Bert, I said, what's the number one reason most people don't get financially wealthy? And he said, Tony, because they try to earn their way to a fortune. Yes. How many movie stars, how many actors, how many athletes that are the best in the world have made more money than God? You just saw the other day what 50 Cent, right? He made $100 million on a tip on vitamin water, and he went bankrupt. Uh, what's his name? Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. He's right now they're talking about he may go bankrupt. He's got $750 million, three quarters of a million dollars, but he spends $30,000 a month on wine, and he spent <laughs> $3 million to take Hunter Thompson, burn his body, and blow it out of a cannon into space. So it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can mess it up. But I give an example of compounding in the book that's really simple. Joe and Bob? Yeah, well, well it's not Joe and Bob, but it's you know someone who's, who's 19 years old, and his mm -hmm. dad convinces him to save $300 a month, which sounds like a lot, but once you do it, it just becomes a habit. And then he does it just till he's 28. So nine years, about $35,000 mm -hmm. in total. But he never invests again. He just leaves it in the market and it grows at 10%. Well, at 65, what does he have off his 
you know, thirty-five thousand dollars. He's got just under a million dollars. His friend, his, and all he put in was thirty-five grand. That was it. But his friend starts at twenty-nine, not at nineteen. And his friend invests three hundred dollars a month every single month till he's sixty-five. Mm-hmm. So he puts in almost two hundred thousand dollars, and at the end, he doesn't even have a million dollars. I want to so know you've why. Got, because compounding is time. A little bit of money compounded over time is more than a lot of money in a very short time, not compounded. But why, if the other one is putting in all that money over a longer amount of years, which you're saying it's about the time, Yes. if he's putting in more time, there was an example in there, and I wrote, why, why? I don't understand no, why. But, but he put in less, he put in more time, not really more time. Think about it. The guy that started at 19. Mm-hmm. He stopped at 25. He, finished, he stopped at 28, but 28. the money is still compounding. Okay. See, the money's working for him now. He didn't have to add more. Yeah. The other guy starts 10 years later, and now he has to spend all that time, and he still doesn't end up with the same amount because, really, he's got 10 years less of compounding. Does that make sense? Uh, okay. Yeah, that's where the okay. difference is. Right? And to, po- to access the power of compounding, is it only in the index fund? Where do people invest this money to access the power of compounding? Well, well let's talk. Let's back up one step. Because I got money in the market. And yes. I'm not compounding shit. <laughs> I am now. Like, AJ and I are doing all this stuff. And, by the way, Lauren's doing it. Rich Davis, oh, who's on great. the show before this. I've gotten everyone around me. I'm like, please do this. And then take me to dinner someday and just say, thank you for being a crazy girl and making me save. <laughs> Isn't that what I said? Yeah, literally. <laughs> well, let me, let me give you a frame of reference about this. The first thing people have to do, just because you already know this, but we need to make sure they know it, is the most important financial decision of your life is to stop just being a consumer and become an owner, mm-hmm. which simply means you have to decide a certain amount of money, a percentage of your income, as you alluded to, is going to be automated. It's going to be taken out of your account. You're not even going to see it. Put it straight in an investment account. Weekly. Where to put it, that's the next decision. But you first got to do that. And if you say, I don't have any money, what I tell people is, you know, the example I gave in the first book was this gentleman to understand compounding named Theodore Johnson, worked for UPS. Mm-hmm. You know the story. Ugh. Here's a guy in the 1950s, never made more than 14 grand a year, but he retired with $70 million and gave away $35 million while he was alive. How? Because uh-huh. a friend of his came along and said, I'm going to make you wealthy. He said, we're going to put a 20% tax on you. And his, his friend said, I make $14,000 a year. I can't pay 20%. Yeah. But he said, listen to me. If the government came by and increased your taxes 20%, you'd scream, you'd yell, you'd bitch, you'd whine, and you'd pay it. And you'd adjust. He goes, this money is going to go in an account that'll compound. And that 20% compounded delivered that for him. So we all need to make that first decision. Mm-hmm. And then the question is where you put your money. Now, where do most people put their money? In a mutual fund. Why? Because you think to yourself, I got 12 jobs, three kids. You know, I'm trying to do things in the community and stay in shape, do all these things. How the hell am I going to be a financial expert? So I'm not going to be. So I'm going to hire someone who's going to pick the stocks for me. That's what they do in a mutual fund. Mm-hmm. You're act, an active manager. The problem is, I interviewed everybody from Warren Buffett to Ray Dalio, you name, the biggest people in the world. Every single one showed me statistically that mutual funds cannot beat the market 96% of the time. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because the fees they charge are so high that it wipes out any benefit they would have given you. Mm-hmm. So some people say, well, 96% of them don't match the market. I could only index for pennies instead of paying 3%. Yes, you can. But what people have to understand, though, also is if you're inside the market in this way, if you've gotten yourself to invest in the market, now the question is going to be, how do I stay there when things get crazy? Mm -hmm. That's why I wrote this book. I wrote this book because I want to protect people. I wrote this book because it is the single greatest opportunity in your lifetime when a crash comes Mm -hmm. to leapfrog from wherever you are now financially to where you want to be. And the reason is, I'll give you an example. 
Everyone remembers Jack Kennedy, you know, John Kennedy, president. His father, Joseph Kennedy, in 1929, had $3 million in his net worth. In 1932, three years later, he's worth $185 million. Now, how the hell do you do that? Yeah. The answer is things you can make more money when things are burning down faster than building. It might take, you can burn down a building in a few hours. It might take you a decade to build the damn thing, right? So the, the, what we try to show you here is I walk you through, and my, by the way, I have a co-author here named Peter Malouk. He's my partner. He owns a firm called Creative Planning. Mm -hmm. Peter is the only man in history of the United States to be picked the number one wealth manager three years in a row by Barron's two years in a row now by CNBC, and Forbes came up with their first list this way, and he's number one in that as well. The reason I brought him on board, and I'm on his board of directors, I'm a person, I, you know, I'm a partner in the company with him. He started a firm, took a firm, and grew it massively in 2008. He had no advertising, no marketing. He went from $500 million to $2 billion. Wasn't he it more than that? No, that was the first growth. Now oh. he's $23 billion. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. probably what you're hearing. Yeah. <laughs> right? But that massive growth that he's done without advertising, without marketing, is because of the results he got. He told everybody who are his clients, let me explain. There's going to be a crash because here's what you have to understand. Every three to five years, there's a bear market. In modern history, it's about every five years. Now, we've had eight years. We're way overdue. He said, but you don't want to be out of the market. What you want to do is be in the market and protect yourself so when the market goes down, you don't lose. And when it comes, here's how we're going to make more money during that time than any time in your history. See, the stock market's the only place in the world when things go on sale, people freak out. Mm -hmm. If I said, what's your favorite car? And you said a Ferrari. And I said, oh, they're on sale for 50% off. You'd be out of your mind. But My when the favorite. stock market drops 50% and you could have owned Apple or Microsoft or Alphabet or whatever for 50% less, people are so fearful they don't do it. But Warren Buffett's out there buying every single day. And that's my favorite quote is from him in the book. On page 42, he says, the stock market the stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. That's right, To baby. the Tom Brady's who stay calm and cool and stay the course. There you go. Oh, yeah, they followed us. Just keep on going. Just stay calm, everybody. That's keep right. going. And then they win the Super Bowl. I like that. Right? <laughs> that was awesome. Awesome. It's true. That's what I thought of instantly. Totally true. You know, there was a study done that kind of tells you what the problem is. And it's kind of what triggered me to write this book also. A couple of things triggered me. One was I had this interview uh, with the Fed chairman, uh, you know, Alan Greenspan. He was the head of the Fed for 19 years, right? <laughs> I died over and, this one. And it's like, and I'm, I'm interviewing him for like, first of all, I had him, you know, by himself, you know, at lunch for three hours, just going into his psyche. I mean, he's the most powerful man in finance for two decades. And then I had him on stage for two hours. And at the end of two hours, we've talked about negative interest rates. So the first time in history, you give your money to a bank in 5,000 years of history, and they don't give you money back. You pay them. Well, what's going on here? So at the end, I asked them, I said, I said to him, I said, what would you do if you were made back the head of the Fed today? And he, everybody leaned in the whole room, everybody listening. And he leaned back in his chair. He paused for a moment, and then he leaned forward, paused again, looked me in the eyes, and said, I'd resign. <laughs> so, oh my God. And then I interviewed Howard Marks, who's a guy who literally, he manages $100 billion. Because in 2008, when we were at the bottom of the market, he was spending a billion dollars a week to invest. And it made him $100 billion. Oh my when everybody God. else was afraid, he was yeah. getting rich. And so I asked, and he said, Tony, if you're not confused by what's going on, you don't know what's going on, right? So I read this study. It's by this group called Dalbar. It's a top financial firm. Mm -hmm. And here's what they found, really interesting. The last 30 years, since 1985 to 2015, the market has grown at 10.28%. Now, when you grow at 10% a year, so you understand how compounding works, you're doubling your money every seven years. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll get rich doing this, and that's been the market. 
but the average investor has only got 3.66%. Oh, two-thirds less money, two-thirds less return. Now, why is that possible? they're investing in specific mutual funds and stocks. They're not using the index fund. Exactly right. Here's what, there's two things. There's the fact that they're trying to time the market. They're trying to get in and out of it. They're afraid. Oh, my God, the market's going to crash. I'm going to get out and hold on to cash. But see, while you're holding on to cash, for the last eight years, the market went up 250%. Mm-hmm. While everybody's been freaking since November, and the president took over, in those three months, we've seen 14.5% growth. While you're on the sidelines, you're missing life-changing opportunities for people. So what you have to do is the reason they're not getting those returns is they're going to active mutual funds. So an active mutual fund charges what? When I ask the average person, what are you being charged in a mutual fund? 99% can't tell me, or they'll say it's 1% because that's what the broker told them. Mm-hmm. 1% is the expense ratio. There's 17 other fees in there. The mm-hmm. average one costs 3.12. And they go, okay, Tony, this is boring. 3% versus 1%, why should I give a damn? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why you give a damn. I have Every- the Starbucks explanation <laughs> here. I yes. love the Starbucks because people understand that. It's totally true. If you're in a situation where you got to pay something, so most people, to make investments, you got to pay about 1% or less, depending upon the situation. But if you're paying 3%, for every 1% above one that you're paying, it costs you 10 years of retirement income. So if you're paying 3%, you're giving up 20 years of income that you could have had owning the exact same investments, it's just you're being overcharged. So it's crazy. It's like there are places where people are investing, and they live next to a neighbor, and the neighbor owns the index. Now, let's explain the difference. of mutual funds can't match the market because the fees are so high they'll Mm -hmm. never win. And they're not good at picking the answers even. The 4% that make it are always changing. So people go, I want a five-star type of mutual fund. They go to Morningstar. But if you look over 10 years, out of 248 five-stars, that's how many there were, four are a five-star 10 years later. But they're always changing. Mm -hmm. And the metaphor I give people is if you play blackjack and you're trying to play 21, you get two face cards worth 20, and you can't go over 21, and your inner idiot says, I think I'll get an ace, hit me. (laughs) You got an 8% chance of getting an ace, you got a 4% chance of getting a mutual fund. Another way of explaining it would be, if you got 100 grand that you've saved up for your whole life till you're 35, and you put it in the market, and you get an 8% return, Mm -hmm. let's say, because over 20 years it's been 8%. And you do that for 30 years. Your 100 grand will grow to $432,000 without ever adding a dime if you paid 3%. But if you only paid 1%, you have $762,000. You have 60% more money, and you own the exact same stocks. It's like I tell people, do you want to own a Honda Accord for $20,000 or want to pay a million dollars for the same one? This is the only industry, because of the lack of disclosure, because of the lack of transparency, that people can be charged a thousand times more than their neighbor, and the neighbor doesn't even know it. Same product. Yeah, and you don't know because they're all categorized behind the fund. Like That's what I sat down with AJ. I was like, wait, why do I have this A, this B, or this C? What's the difference? And he's like, there's no difference. It's just what they're charging you behind. So certain mutual funds were charging me 3% behind the scenes where I didn't know. Yes. And other ones, I was charged 1%. I'm like, what? I was outraged. The index, you brought that up. So let's look at that. The index, the difference there is you're not paying for someone to pick the stocks Mm -hmm. because the index is the top five, like the S&P 500. It's you get a piece of all top 500 stocks, right? The biggest and best companies. And you don't have to worry about it. So the cost of the index, like let's say Vanguard, might be 0.14, not 3%. Mm -hmm. So that means... 14 basis points. That's a big word. It just means 14ths of 100%. So it's not even, it's like, think of it as two tenths of a percent. That's what you're charged versus 3%. That's the difference between 20,000 versus a million. 
That's the same percentage difference. So you've got to wake up. And that's why people are being taken advantage of that. And then the second one we should talk about when you want to is timing. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more with Tony Robbins, unshakable advice. (laughs) We're going to talk timing. We're going to talk fees. And I want to talk about the Hall of Shame, too. We'll be right back, guys. loved going one-on-one with people. Welcome back to Conversations with Maria Menounos. Guys, we are back with the Tony Robbins. His new book, Unshakable, is available wherever books are sold. Of course, all the proceeds are going to Feeding America, the nation's number one hunger relief organization. And you've fed about 250 million people at this point. No biggie. Okay, so we took a break and we were talking about timing. We were about to start talking about timing. Yeah, so so think about it. Right now, everybody's saying, you see in the newspaper every day a new record being broken. We've had seven days in a row of the Dow breaking records. And what people do then is they panic. And, you know, there's good reason to be cautious because, as we said, this is eight years into a bear market. And this is the second largest one, bull market, I should say, second largest bull market in history. So a correction is going to happen. So what most people do is they don't want to get in because they're afraid of missing out. But what I need people to understand and what I wrote the book is you got to be in the market or you're really missing out. Mm -hmm. So as I said earlier, how many millennials do you know that witnessed all this meltdown and they're deathly afraid of the market. They don't trust anybody in the marketplace. I don't trust most of them either, but I know what to do. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they've missed the last eight years. They missed 250% growth. I mean, that's how you get wealthy. Yeah. And, and, you know, last three months, 14%. So the weird thing is you got to be in the market, but we're in a place where things are so volatile. There's no way to make money anywhere except in the stock market. All the money's going there. We know it's mm-hmm. getting overvalued. So what's the solution? Well, here's the solution. You, let's educate ourselves a couple times. Let, let's take your audience and help them understand a couple of things. There's two terms that people are afraid of, corrections and crashes. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows a correction is when the stock market drops from its peak by at least 10% up to 20 A crash is when it goes from 20% or worse, up to 80% it's happened at times. So if you understand that, here's what you need to know. I'm afraid because what if the market starts to drop and I lose my money? That's the fear. Well, if you're going to be afraid, you're going to be afraid every year. Because since mm-hmm. 1900, for 116 years, there's been a correction. So last January in 2016, we had the worst opening of the stock market in history in the first month. Lost $2.3 trillion. And we ended the year with record-breaking performance. That's because every year, winter comes. Financial mm-hmm. winter. Every single year, are like clockwork. It lasts an average of two months, 56 days to be specific, and the market drops 14% on average. So it could be a little more, a little less. Well, that'll get a gut check. Yeah. But what you got to understand is it only is a gut check if you sell. 80% of those corrections never become a crash, mm-hmm. and they bounce back just like last year. But if yeah. you sell, you just lost 10%, 14%, and you do that too many times, you're not going to get in the game anymore. Yeah. On the other hand, the one that everybody's afraid of is the crash, the bear. Okay, about every five years they come. What do they do? They last a year. They drop an average of 33%. That'll get your full attention. I asked Jack Bogle, what do you do in the middle of a bear market? He goes, I pull out all my books and read them. (laughs) Stay the course, right? (laughs) Yeah, because it's not easy. But but you won't lose money unless you sell. You didn't lose money in 2008. If you would have kept your stocks, you're in the best shape. You're up 250%. But if you sold them because you were fearful, you're screwed. So what was Warren Buffett telling everybody? 
everybody's fearful. Now's the time to buy. Because yeah. when things look, when things are going great, what do people want? When the market's going crazy, what do they want for their stock or their home or their business that they're selling? They want more than it's worth. When things are crashing, they want whatever they can get, and they'll sell for pennies on the dollar. So, well, you understand that here's the best piece of information. Of all the bear markets we've had in the history of the United States, two centuries, America's unique in this way. Every single bear has been followed by a bull. Meaning, if you remember 2008 and you were scared, the market dropped 35%. Mm-hmm. For a short time, it was, you know, from peak to trough, it was 50%. The very next 12 months went up 69%, 70%. Yeah. And this happens all the time. Now, what about timing? You say, yeah, Tony, that's all true, but let me stay on the sidelines and wait till it drops, and then I'll do this. <laughs> if you won't do it now, you're not going to do it when it drops. So- well, yeah, if you follow the five-year bear, uh, bear market trend, we would have waited for that five-year mark, and it's you come three and gone. Years of three growth. years of growth exactly and gone. Right. All because you're afraid. And there's nothing to be afraid of. My whole thing is take the, you know, the old metaphor, you're walking down the street or you know, country road in the middle of the night, you see a snake, freak out, walk away, come back the next day, and you realize it's a rope. Mm-hmm. Once you know it's a rope, there's no fear. We want to do the same. So if every bear market becomes a bull in history, and why? Because America gets more and more productive, because our population continues to grow, and because of inflation, we're going to continue to grow. Like Warren Buffett said, betting against America for two centuries is the worst bet you could make. We've had a few dips, but the overall direction is mm-hmm. straight up. So then you might say, well, yeah, but still, Tony, what if I go in tomorrow? I put all my money in, and it's the worst day. It's the peak of the market, and then it crashes. Cool idea. Let me tell you what I found out. It's really interesting. Two studies, one by J.P. Morgan. I was just um, speaking at the J.P. Morgan Alternative Investments Conference, by the way. 400 people. You have to be a billionaire to attend. You have to show them your net worth to get in the building. Pretty crazy. But J.P. Morgan did a study, and they found that in the last 20 years, remember I said in 30 years, the market's given a 10.28% return. In the last 20 years, it's been 82 if you just own the index, 8.2, you're doubling your money mm-hmm. like crazy. $50,000 in at that, doubling every nine years, you're going to have 951000 You're going to have a million bucks. It's like, unbelievable. It's unbelievable what you yeah. have, right? But you know, here's the challenge. If you were out of the market because you were trying to time it, thinking, that's oh, too high, everything's overvalued, it's been overvalued for a long time, if you're out of the market just 10 of the best trading days, your 8.2% return is cut in half to 45 Yeah. What are the chances of you knowing which 10 days in 20 years to be in? If you missed the top 20 trading days, you went from 8% down to 2%. If you missed the top 30 days in 20 years, that means only one and a half days a year you're wrong about. You're out of the market because you think it might be too frothy. Then you make no money for the entire 20 years because you missed those 30 days. The riskiest thing is to be out of the market. So you say, but what if I got on the wrong day? So Schwab did a great study. They did these people. One person they timed and said they got in on the best day. The market crashed. It was at the bottom, and then it went straight up, and they bought it on the crash day. Second person bought it on the worst day. It was the peak of the market the day before it crashed. The next day, they, they crashed through the floor. Third person does something called dollar cost averaging, which is you just spend invest the same amount of money every month for your stocks, and that allows the prices to average. If it's high sometimes, it's lower sometimes, it averages out. When you say stocks, are you meaning individual stocks or just the index? Or it could be an index, either okay. one. You know, putting a certain amount each <laughs> month, right? Some months it's high, some it's no, but it averages out. And then the fourth one is someone who puts their money in cash. Well, who's worse off at the end of 20 years? Cash. It's not hard to figure out. It's yeah. cash, right, which is what people are doing. Who's best off? Well, sure, the one who was in the best timing. But here's what's wild. The person who got on the worst day, the peak of the market and crashed, 
20 years later only has fourteen less $14,000 less money than the person who got on the perfect yeah. day. So you so got to get in the market. Yeah. You're going to if the market drops and you don't sell your great, then what you're going to do is when the market crashes, you'll sell some of the things you have like bonds or things of that nature and you'll buy stocks on the massive discount and it will set you for life. Yeah. Let me tell you something too. If you're going to be stressed about finances cuz the market, imagine this. If you were if someone's, you know, you're held now 38 38. So I'm going to round you up to 40, but you should never do it to a woman. I'm not really doing that. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to be way smarter by 40. <laughs> you will be way smarter by good. 40. So I'm just use 40 for math. So your average lifespan would be 85 right now. I'm sure you'll blow way past that. But let's just assume that was true. So 45, so we'll say 47 more years, right, of, of life. That means you have 47 more corrections to go through. Yeah. Or round it up to 50 and just go... My gosh, if it's every five years, you have 10 more bear markets. Do you really want to be stressed or you want to be unshakable? If you're unshakable, you go, bear markets come every five years. It's the opportunity for me to get richer. Yeah. It's the opportunity to get stronger because when everybody else is scared, I know exactly what to do. I got my plan in place. That's how we go about this. So it's less think, more do. Kevin always says that in yes, life. So but right. now it's the same thing in the financial world. So what would your best advice be for someone who has a lump sum and because the power of compounding can be accessed with a lump sum or with a weekly payment, That's right? So if they have money they want to put aside, is the index fund the best solution right now for people? Well, first of all, let's be really clear. I'm glad you're asking this question. I am not telling people to put all their money in the market. That's suicide. You don't do that. The only reason we're talking about the market is I interviewed a Nobel Prize winner from Yale uh, that you probably have heard of, Dr. Schiller. And Dr. Schiller did research to see what every asset has done over the last two centuries. So ironically, your own home is one of the worst investments you can make. Yeah, that people don't ex- understand what? it. Yes. <laughs> Say what? Not, not emotionally. <laughs> emotionally owning your own home you want for emotional reasons. Mm-hmm. But if you look at real estate, it goes in very cyclical patterns. And over, over the last two centuries, it doesn't provide income. So what it does is it basically gives you a slight hedge against inflation. If you own real estate, you want real estate that can appreciate but also gives you an income along the uh, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where the real value is. But stocks have the highest return of anything, more than commodities, more than bonds, more than anything, but they're also the most volatile. Mm-hmm. So the secret is you need to well, – let me give you the four most important secrets that these wealthy people have. I interviewed these 50 billionaires, all self-made, no lucky sperm club guys or girls. <laughs> Everybody had to do it on their own, right? So as I dug in with them, you know, some of these people are macro traders. I mean, they predict what the whole world's going to do. Some of these guys are blood in the streets, like Sir John Templeton I interviewed before he passed. His whole thing was you make money when people are the most scared, most maximum pessimism, he called it. Um, you know, then I have some people like uh, Carl Icahn that he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he goes in and buys the stock and pounds on the CEOs and says, I'm going to kick you out unless you make these changes, right? He's an activist investor. Whoa. They're all different, but they all have four things in common. And this is like my checklist for like before I make an investment. So the first one is, and that's why I'm bringing this up, is you talk about should we put our money in the market? The first thing that they're obsessed by, it's really simple, is they're obsessed with not losing. And you go, well, Tony, that's basic. No, most investors are obsessed with trying to make money. But these people know that if I lose 50% in the market when a drop happens, I got to make 100% to get even. If you had 100 grand and you lost 50%, you got 50 grand. Now, if you grow that by 50%, you only have 75. You got to get 100% growth. That might take you 10 years. Mm-hmm. So they're obsessed, and the way they do it is they know they're going to be wrong, Maria. They know. Now, unlike the guys you see on CNBC, you know, Warren Buffett told me, he said, Tony, those market forecasters, their only purpose in life is to make fortune tellers look good because nobody can predict the market. Mm-hmm. They have no clue. 
So what these guys do the best in the world is they create an asset allocation. What that means is you don't put all your eggs in one basket, you divide it up. And they come up with a specific way that will balance things even if they're wrong so they don't lose money. And so I teach that in the book. The second thing they teach is, or that they live for, is called asymmetrical risk reward. You and I talked about this once mm -hmm. before. This is so critical. Most people think I gotta take huge risks to get huge rewards, but that isn't true. None of these people take huge risks. That's a total delusion on the mm -hmm. public's part. They look to see where's the mm -hmm. least amount of risk I can take to get the biggest possible reward. So how do I risk a dollar to make five? If I try to risk a dollar to make five and I'm wrong, I can risk $2 now, another dollar and still make five. I can be wrong four times out of five and make money. Whereas the average person is trying to make a 10% return. So finding asymmetrical risk return is really valuable. And I think I shared with you, uh, I don't know if I remember, but last time I was with you, I interviewed Kyle Bass. I think we talked about mm -hmm. him. And he's a guy that took $30 million and made it into $2 billion in two years. That's like unheard of on the face of the planet. Plus he did it in 2008, 2009, worst time. Now, how'd he do it? Everybody thought real estate was going to go up forever. He knew it wasn't. He made a bet. But the way he made the bet, he never risked more than six cents to make a dollar. So that means he could be wrong 15 times and still make money. He wasn't wrong so 15 smart. times. I asked him, how do, you, how do I explain asymmetrical risk reward to you know, someone who's never invested or, or a child? And he said, Tony, it's funny you say that. He said, because I obsessed about this because I want to teach my boys. And he said, I came up with the answer. I said, what is it? He said, nickels. He said, oh, nickels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I said, what do you mean nickels? He goes, I asked myself for a year. Where is there a riskless reward? Where can I take no risk and have immediate income? Uh, yeah. Which most people say that's impossible. But, you know, smart people ask better questions. They get mm -hmm. better answers. So one day he said, I figured out it's nickels. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, watch this, Tony. If you buy a nickel, it's worth five cents, and it's never worth less than five cents, so you can't lose money. But the day you buy it, nickels today are full of nickel, which is worth more than five cents. And nickel is worth 6.8 <laughs> cents if you melt it down. So the day you buy it, you've made a 33% return. Where do you get a 33% return with no risk? And there's no risk. It'll Nine. never go less than a nickel. And he said, and I said, but yeah, but you can't legally, you know, melt the nickels. You know, they changed the laws 10 yes. years ago. And he said, he said, yes, but I'm not doing it for melt value. He said, Tony, look what they did with pennies. They used to be made out of copper. It was too expensive. They all of a sudden, a penny cost five cents to make. So what they eventually do, they took all the copper out and made them out of tin, right? Everybody thinks they're still copper. They're not. Mm -hmm. But if you go buy the pennies with copper in them, because they're so rare, they're worth more than 100% more. So he said, look, if I could push a button, convert my entire wealth to nickels tomorrow, I'd do it. Because I'll never lose money. I make 33%. I'm going to more likely make 100%. He called the Fed and tried to buy all the nickels they had available. They would only sell him 20 million nickels. So he bought 20 million Duh. nickels. His kids drag these in. He's got this big room, the no storage way. room. I swear to God, with nickels as high as the ceiling. I forget that so, part. So, so his kids really got it. So it's like, <laughs> there are ways But he can't to make, make the money until it's... It's available to melt, technically. Well, no, right? no because uh, he's making an investment that has no downside, that's worth 33% now. You know, technically it's illegal to melt it, but if he wanted to, you know damn well he would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but more importantly, right now it costs 11 cents to make a nickel. If you want to know why the government's upside down, your government sends 11 cents to make five, right? So they're going to wake up just like pennies at point, yeah. and then he'll get 100% return. Totally. Idea. But the idea is to think differently. You know, Richard Branson's a dear friend of mine, and Richard, when he started, you know, Virgin Air, mm -hmm. he's competing with British Airlines. A lot of risk there. Now, most people think of 
you know, Richard, and they go, the guy's a total risk taker. He puts his life on the line, and they're right. He's a risk taker with his life, but not with his money. His number one question is, how do we protect the downside? So when he was doing the Virgin deal, he went to Boeing, and he negotiated for two years before he began till he convinced them to give him the planes with a two-year period that if he went bankrupt, they took the planes back, and it would cost him nothing. So he had zero risk, zero downside, all upside. That's how he started Virgin. That's how he made Virgin work. So that's how the smartest people think. Third thing they have in common, they know whatever people tell you return is is always bullshit. Because the only money that matters is what you keep. And what they leave out is taxes Taxes. and fees in most cases, Uh right? So they tell you, oh, you got this 8% return and, you know, you ended up with 3%. Mm -hmm. You know, you ended up with paying, let's say, 8% return. You paid 3% for the mutual fund, now you're down to 5 And if you sold it within the first year, and most of these people churn the fund, so you're you're charged ordinary income. So now you're 5 you made 2.5%. You might as well have had a bond. Yeah. Right. So you have to be tax efficient. One of the, the statistics that I show people is most people know compounding of their money is how you get wealthy. Right? Most? No, Tony. Well, nobody know knows it. it. Intellectually. Nobody knows it, Tony. That's what I'm telling Are you. you telling nobody, me nobody knows. knows it. No, everybody I talk to, no one knows. Well, here's what you gotta know. Fees compound and worse, taxes compound. Yeah. So watch this. If you take a dollar and let's let's play the game. Your dollar double it, two dollars. Second doubling four then eight, then 16. If you double a dollar 20 times, it becomes a million and 48,000. Kind of cool, that's the power of compounding. But if you pay 33% tax along the way, and most of us in California, you know, pay mm-hmm. more than 33%, I'm out of here now, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they raised taxes by a third in my category overnight and they made it retroactive, I was like, that's crazy. But to give you an idea, that million and 48, if you pay 33% tax along the way, is only worth $28,000 total. Not a million and 28, 28,000. Unreal. That's the power of compounding of fees. And lastly, <clears throat> so you've got focused on not losing money, which means have an asset allocation that protects mm-hmm. you, diversification. Then you've got asymmetrical risk reward. Then you've got tax efficiency, so you get to keep it all. And the fourth one is diversification. And we've all heard of it, but I always tell people, if you own business, the worst thing most business owners do is they put all their money in their business. And trust me, I've, I've done this in the beginning, too. I have 31 companies now. You know, we do $5 billion in sales. I got a really diverse platform today. But in the beginning, I didn't. And what I realized one day is I need a business on the side that has no employees, that has no moving parts, that takes me 15 minutes a year to manage. But that way, if anything happens to the business, I'm still protected. Yeah. And if they both go well, then you just have a double hit. Your freedom comes even quicker in life. But everybody's got to build that. I, I love it. Guys, we're going to take another short break. When we come back, more with Tony Robbins. From news and pop culture to fitness and health to relationships and careers. This is Conversations with Maria Menounos. Guys, we are back with Tony Robbins. Of course, we're chatting about his new book, Unshakable, Your Financial Freedom Playbook. And Tony, what I love about your books is, first of all, because I've been to your seminars now, you're reading it to me. I can hear your voice through it, so it makes the read so much faster, by the way. 
Um, but also I love how simple you make it. I know I'm a pretty smart person, but I think I'm very ordinary when it comes to the financial world. And I think that you make it so simple for us to be able to grab onto it. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Um, I do want to simplify something for the audience who might be listening. And when you're talking about asset allocation and diversification, someone like a Nick, say he has $30,000 and he wants to invest it and he wants to follow that advice. How would you go about advising him? Well, first of all, um, he needs to understand you don't want to put all your money in one place, right? We know that. We've talked about stocks because it has the highest return, but you need a mix. So uh, maybe a simple way of explaining is imagine that you were dividing your money into a couple different buckets. And one of those buckets is a bucket where it's more secure, where there's very little risk. But when there's very little risk, you get a smaller return. So some of your money needs to be the tortoise. It's going to be really slow. It's not exciting, but it'll win the race and it'll compound through time. But, you know, it looks like it's growing grass in the beginning because compounding, like if you, a uh, metaphor I give people sometimes to say, you know, let's play golf and uh, let's play 10 cents a hole. People go, yeah. And I go, let's just double it each hole just to make it more interesting. So first hole's 10 cents, 20 cents, 40 cents, 80 cents, buck 60. Well, you know, you're six holes into it and it's $3.20, more than you thought, but not a big deal. In the end, it's 13 grand. Right, And the reason is the last three holes compounds. And so that's what happens with compounding for people as well. So what you need to do is have some money in a security bucket. Now, what would be in there? There might be things like bonds, which sounds like the most boring thing on earth. Where am I going to make any money in these crappy little bonds? They have no return. Like you put your now. house, zero. <laughs> but you still need that diversification yeah. because they will change, right? And then you might have something like you might have a, a, REIT, a REIT, a real estate investment trust. So instead of trying to go buy a bunch of homes you don't have money for, you can get pieces of a bunch of homes, just like mm -hmm. an index does for stocks. It's kind of an index for real estate. And it of, comes right? with no stress. That's the thing that I loved about you AJ. Don't have to manage it. He taught me about that because I love real estate, but I don't have the time to manage yeah. tenants and all the nonsense that goes with it. But if you invest in these real estate you know, yes. Or there's things like uh, MLPs, which are master limited partnerships. So you want to be in different industries. So I'll give you an example. The oil industry, what, a year ago was down 70%, right? Oil went through the floor, everybody's freaking out. Well, when the oil companies went down, there's something else that's going on, these MLPs. Well, these MLPs are kind of like the toll booth. If you want to go, if the oil is going to transfer from one place to another, regardless of the price of oil, oil has to flow. And these people get a toll. And the government gives a huge tax break because they want us to, to get a lot of domestic oil. So I found that a bunch of these companies were down 50% because oil was down. Mm -hmm. But they shouldn't be down. There's nothing wrong. They're just like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. So I bought them, and they threw off an income. And the income they normally throw off would be just you know $5, right? Well, $5 on a $100 stock is 5%. Well, when the stock dropped to $50 and I'm still getting $5... Guess what's happening? I'm getting 10% on my money, plus I get the ongoing element, and I'm getting a real 10%. Remember I said tax efficiency? Mm -hmm. You get about 9% of that because of the tax laws. Whereas if you were an ordinary income, you'd be getting yourself, you know, on that, you know, 8%, 9%, 10%, you'd be getting half of it. You get 4 or 5% to give you an idea. So you've got to diversify. You can't just put it all in the market. And how to do this is you need to get a professional. You mm -hmm. need somebody to do it. And the problem is, we live in a society where there's 310,000 wealth professionals. In fact, the, uh, the the Wall Street Journal said there's 200 names for these professionals because they want to make it sound really important, like yeah. wealth manager, right? Private wealth manager, yeah, yeah, yeah. financial advisor. 90% of that 310,000 people are brokers. Now, hear me out. A broker is a good human, 
but they work for the house. Mm-hmm. They've been trained by the house, and the house always wins. All these companies that we hear all the negativity about in the financial world, they're not mean. They're not sinister. They're corporations, and the job of corporations is to maximize profit for a shareholder. But you're not a shareholder. You're a customer. And the only way to make more money for shareholders is sell more of you or get you to pay more with more yeah. fees. And I think that's mean, Tony. So, sorry. <laughs> sorry to cut you off, but I think that's mean. When I'm going in the back coding and I'm seeing them getting charged 3% for the same shit that other people are getting charged 1% just because they decided that day that I should charge be charged more, hell no. I think that's mean. It, it's it's it's, un- <laughs> it's unconscious, but it happens because there's yeah. no transparency. That's why I wrote these books. That's why I put these websites together where people can go and find out what your 401k fees are. 72% of people think they're paying nothing, mm-hmm. right? And they pay a fortune. And, you know, they're throwing away 10 or 20 years worth of income. Yeah. So in the book, I show you where to go. You go online, you can see exactly what it is, what it's costing you and so forth. But what I'm trying to get across to you is you really got to diversify. And to find a professional, it's hard because out of 310,000, only 31,000 I'm going to teach you an F word now. Okay. It's called fiduciary. Okay? My favorite new it's, word. It, 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 it should become your favorite word. Here's what it means. Brokers can sell you anything, and they do not have to put your interests ahead of their own. If they can make more money, the, the house says sell these funds. These are the best funds to sell. They sell them to you because they make 3 or 4 or 5%. They make commissions. They make a lot of money. A fiduciary is a person that is actually raised their hand, left that brokerage business, and now they're a registered investment advisor. As a registered investment advisor, an RIA, a fiduciary, they are legally responsible to put your needs ahead of their own, like your lawyer has to, Mm -hmm. like your doctor has to. They can't sell you something that's not in your best interest, or they literally can go to jail. They can be sued. They go through all these things. So if a fiduciary says to you, an RIA, a registered investment advisor says, buy Apple this morning, and they buy it themselves this afternoon cheaper than you, they have to give you their stock. That's how strong the law is. Until so, Trump ruins it. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. But first, <laughs> let, me point, let me point this out. So my first book, I wrote all about this. I created a site where people could go to find out what they're really being charged. I paid half a million dollars to get the technology where it would go to all your accounts, pull them together, show you what's real. And what was the site? I, it, it's called showmethefees.com. So people go do this, but then... If they wanted to have somebody work with them, I wanted it to be a fiduciary, so I recommended 10 firms. I didn't take a dime. It was just like my book. I donated all the profits. But after I wrote Money Master the Game, about a year later, Peter Malouk, my now partner, comes to me and says, Tony, I know how much you care about people, and I have to tell you, unfortunately, there are people on your platform that are in the gray area, and they're screwing people over. So I said, come sit down and talk to me. So we sat down, spent an hour, and then he started to explain to me, and this is really disgusting. Of the 31,000 people that are supposed to be the good guys, 26,000 of them are duly registered, which means they are a broker and and an RIA. So they look you in the face. Like, I had a guy look me in the face and said, are you a fiduciary? He goes, absolutely. And he told me how bad brokers were and all this stuff. No. And then in the middle of the conversation, he switched hats. And I saw him doing it mentally. And he started selling me on this fund that he makes a huge chunk on. And it's an underperforming fund. And I said, wait a second. You can't sell, you can't make a commission on something like this. He goes, oh, well, I, I, I'm not getting commission, I'm getting a consulting fee. Because that's the other way they can do it. It's not a commission, so it's legal. It's the gray area. They, they go and make, they say, don't call a commission, call a consulting fee. I said, I'm paying you, so you give me advice. I want a dietitian. I don't want a butcher. A butcher is going to sell you meat all the time. Yeah. He probably believes meat's good. The dietitian's going to go, you're going to have cancer. 
Here, I'm being paid only for advice. I don't get paid to sell you the meat. Here's what you do. Get some fish. Get some salad. We're going to change the, we're going to get you so you live a long time. That's what a fiduciary is. So there's only one and a half percent of all people in the world financially in the United States that are real fiduciaries. 5,000 out of 310,000. But how do you know that for sure? Because if you didn't know that those people were wearing two caps, how is the average person going to know? I didn't know it, and I found out what you got to do, and it's in the book, but I'll just tell you right now. you got to ask them, number one, are you a registered investment advisor? Are you a fiduciary? They'll probably say yes. Then you say, are you Series 7 licensed? Are you associated with a broker-dealer? Is your firm associated with a broker-dealer? And you can see it on their card usually too. Mm -hmm. And that's where you'll start discovering. Third one is you can say, do you have proprietary funds of your own that you sell people? That you make it? Mm -hmm. Do you get any consulting fees? Right? These are all code words for I'm screwing you over and making a bunch of money (laughs) off you saying that I'm a rich. Yes, you're running out of time here. So one my last chapter of this book is once I show you how to truly be unshakable, you know what to do. You got a plan. And you really do. You have a playbook and you have no more fear. Like you know the crash is gonna come and you're looking forward to it without yeah. without it's not positive thinking. You got a plan. You gotta take advantage of it. Then the real question is like, you can have a ton of money. I got you know, I've interviewed fifty billionaires. They're not all happy people. I mean, what good is the money if you're not rich emotionally, spiritually, right? And so it's like I always tell people, money doesn't change you because money changes me. It doesn't change you. It just magnifies who you are. So if you're mean, you got more to be mean with. Mm-hmm. If you're giving, you have more to be giving with. It just it just magnifies. But I felt like it'd be I'd remiss if I wrote this little book. You could read it in four hours and you want to do it financially, but I don't address the psychological and emotional. So in two minute version of it is, most human beings are not as happy as they could be because most of us have we're unaware of the fact that our brain is two million years old. And it's not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make you survive. So what does it do? It's survival software. It's always looking, oh my God, I could lose money. Oh my God. And you used to need Mm -hmm. this to survive because you needed a saber-toothed tiger so you could fight it or you could run or you could freeze and hope it wouldn't notice you. But today we fight or we flight or we freeze over what are people thinking of us? Yeah. Or do I have enough money? And to be, you know, honest, you know me, I care. I don't want anybody to suffer. But if you live in poverty in America... You're in the 1% of the planet of earners. See, the average person, two-thirds of the planet, lives on $2.50 a day, $900 a year. So the people that were sitting on Wall Street going, we're the 99%, we're all liars. They're the one percenters, right? They're the 1% of the planet. What they did for that one cup of Starbucks is more than people have for a day. What mm-hmm. they did with that little Apple computer is more than people earn in a year. You know, the little phone in their pocket. But we lose track. And so I say that because we want to build on success, not failure. So a couple years ago, I met a dear friend in India. And we had this discussion about this idea that, you know, I teach everybody that if you go in a peak state, if you have the peak levels of energy, if you're energy rich, Mm -hmm. and you're in a relationship, and we love each other, and we're both energy rich, this relationship's awesome. But if not even having to do with each other. We've got some challenges, we're exhausted, we're tired, Mm -hmm. our energy's low, we're doing okay. Even though we love each other, our relationship's gonna be kinda okay. There's not gonna have that juice. If you got two people that are exhausted, beat up, frustrated with their life, maybe not about each other, maybe it's work, maybe it's the kids, maybe it's health, they're both in a shitty state, they're gonna say and do things that are gonna mess this relationship even though they love each other. So my friend Krishnaji in India says to me, Tony goes, what if you traded the word peak state or energy rich for a beautiful state? I said, well that works, you know, beautiful states is love, it's joy, it's passion, it's compassion, it's courage, it's determination, it's any high energy emotion. He goes, what if we took the lousy states or the low energy states and called those suffering? 
I said, I don't really suffer. I'm an achiever. I, we don't even get fearful. We just get stressed. Right? <laughs> Stress is the achiever word for fear. I didn't really relate to it. But he goes, but just try it on for a moment. I said, okay, then suffering would be what emotions? It would be frustration, pissed off, worried, concerned, tired, bored, resentful, any of those things, depressed, angry. And so I thought, I don't suffer, but I get pissed off. I don't suffer, but I get concerned at times. And so I really didn't like seeing that I suffered. I had acknowledged, like if you asked me two years ago, do you suffer? I'd say, are you crazy? I got the greatest wife, greatest kids. I got a life mission that I love. I meet millions of people. I'm healthy. I'm fit. I got energy. You know, I got all the money you could ever have. I mean, come on, I don't suffer. And I wouldn't have been insincere. But what I, I used to think was that frustration and anger and part of those things, that was just part of doing business, part of life. But what I began to realize is it's survival software and you can override it. And if you do, you can be more unique than a billionaire. Billionaires are a dime a dozen. We get a new billionaire every six days in the United States. You get a new billionaire every five days in China. What is totally rare is a human being who lives in a beautiful state every day, even when it doesn't go their way. I always say, mm. there's nothing worse than an angry rich man or angry rich woman. You just want to slap them, you know? <laughs> they got, because they got everything, but they're still not happy. And yeah. the reason is we all do this. Our brains are always looking for, am I losing out on something? Am I getting less of something? Mm -hmm. If this happened, I'll never have what I want. And it's just the mind. So what I teach in the book is how to separate from those thoughts in two minutes, literally. I do an exercise and I give people a link to an audio so you can try it. And you can take some area of your life where you're really, you've got unfinished business, something that needs to be dealt with that you're putting off because you're stressed and busy in your personal life or your business life. And in two minutes, I show you how to go in this state and then you'll find the answer. Your brain has the answer when you go in this beautiful mm -hmm. state versus suffering. And my whole thing is life is too short to suffer. But the mind will always find something to suffer for until you teach it not to. And when you teach it not to, when you start to literally make your goal to find ecstasy and joy in every moment, you won't do it every moment. But when the suffering comes up, you kill it. Like I always tell people, kill the monster while it's a baby. Don't wait till it's Godzilla taking the yeah. city in your life, right? But when you do this, I created a 90-second rule. I start to feel the stress. I become aware. It's a game. In 90 seconds, this is going to be gone. I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to focus on something I appreciate. Because when you appreciate, you have no suffering. Or I focus on someone I love. Or I focus on giving love. Appreciation, gratitude, love, they wipe out any form of suffering. You can't be you know, grateful and angry simultaneously. You can't be fearful and angry simultaneously. So what I do is put you put that emotion together, the gratitude, and you train yourself. In the beginning, it should have been like the four-hour rule or maybe four-day rule. But when you do it enough, you literally train yourself to all of a sudden you're finding beauty in every moment. And to me, that's real riches. So this book... Listen to me, you can't afford not to read this mm -hmm. book. I'm getting nothing out of it financially. 100% is going to feed people and feeding America another 100 million people. Every book feeds 50 people. But you can't afford to know how to protect yourself and how to take advantage of the next crash that comes and how to really, truly have the level of happiness you deserve. I love it. Tony, thank you so much. You've changed my life. I've never been in the in this kind of state since I was, oh God, at least 15 years. Wow. I am in the best place I've ever been and people around me are all noticing yeah. and it's because of you. So thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. And don't let me get emotional because I got to tell you where to find him. So of course you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Tony Robbins. His website is TonyRobbins.com and you can get his app at Unshakable.com. Guys, the book is Unshakable, your financial freedom playbook. It's available wherever books are sold. All proceeds are going to Feeding America. And Tony, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. Love you. Love being with you, honey. Take care. All right, guys. Take care. Be nice people. Make good choices. Let's go.